Don't be afraid of being something more. It improves posture. You're searching to be more, you're searching to learn more, you're searching to do more. It's a call to action. It's a call for ownership. A means to really live, whatever that means to you. Welcome to the show. All right, welcome to episode 11. How's everyone? I'm doing great. very well. Awesome. Why are you doing well, George? Uh, it's just a great day. I'm here recording a podcast with my wonderful co-workers, so uh, how could I not be doing well? Awesome. What's new? Yeah, what's new, guys? I know, James, you're going to hit You're gonna hit your piece, so I don't want you to... You don't have to get into that quite yet. Just uh, oh, overall, no. what's what's new in life this week? Yeah, this wasn't going to be included in it, but I okay. think uh, um, the election just happened. So that's new. Yeah. It's kind of big this time of year. Especially so here. Politics are Especially here. Politics and are on, <coughs> the, uh, on the mind and in the energy and in the, in the culture yeah. this time of year. So that's kind of new relative to... Uh, people listening in and knowing where we are in mid-November here. Yeah. So, yeah. I like your shirt. Thanks. Yeah. No sugar. That was inspired by last week's episode, maybe. <laughs> huh? The prohibition uh, on alcohol and sugar. Oh no, 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 no. That was just alcohol. <laughs> and, and I'll and I'll clarify that in a future episode. But uh, yeah, just give uh, awareness to uh, big sugar. We didn't plan this, but I'm going to talk about sugar okay, today in my radar. I think yeah. I overheard you, actually. Yeah. So it was kind of yeah, timely. Yeah. yeah. So that's why I was so, so surprised those when who I can't saw that see, shirt. I'm wearing a... Um, <laughs> what am I wearing? No a sugar. A shirt with sugar on it, but... A it's uh, crossed out, like yeah, a stop sign, you know? Yeah. No, not a stop sign. What do, what do you like call a that? warning sign. Like a do not... Don't do that here. Yeah. Like, don't skateboard, yeah, don't, but don't sugar. Yes, there you go. Don't sugar. Don't sugar. Don't sugar on me. That's what... That's, that's what it means. <laughs> James gonna get a flag that says "Don't sugar." Yeah, on it. Uh-huh. yeah. That's that could be taken a bunch of different ways. Yep. Yeah. That's the next T-shirt. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, sugar. I put S-U-G-A. Up last weekend. Oh, did you outside? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's dedication. Put the tree mm. up and put the outside. Nice. So did Chloe. Nice. So we, we do that early, before Thanksgiving yeah. now. <laughs> now we? you do. Are you okay. asking? Uh, you yeah, I'm just it? asking the group what they think about that. We I don't went, think you do, but we went. We went early this year. We went. The day after the day after uh, Halloween, so yeah, we went November first. Yeah, if it was up to Chloe, she would do it when we got back from Cordelline. Yeah. <laughs> and to mesh it all together. But doesn't it just feel better so, though? Like when you like, what do you guys have up so right Chloe now? So Chloe has seasonal room changes, right? So she just finished the uh, autumn harvest smells and looks yep. in the room the candles you me? Yep. the like apple the mm-hmm. bed mm-hmm. set up and all the colors and etc and then like within five hours it was like woof, <laughs> christmas. christmas and so uh that then the feeling. whole house felt it too but she, we went out together she bought a tree at uh hobby lobby yeah hobby mm-hmm. lobby 50 percent off got this gargantuan way better than joanne fabrics by the way okay way yeah. better. good way heads better. up yeah um yeah, and a whole bunch of stuff, and she decorated, and she killed it. Awesome. Yeah, so we're in Christmas mode. To your point, I don't know, though. I think it's up to the person who, like, feels... Th- if it was up to me, I'd never put it up. I wouldn't even know. I'd be like, oh, Christmas time? I'd show up and yeah. be expected to, like, give out presents or something. I, I think I, I I use the excuse. I'm like, oh, it's the kids. But I I was the motivation behind, like, nope, we're going, we're going Christmas on November 1st this year. Mm-hmm. Well... For one, it's a lot of work to put all that stuff up. Yeah. So it doesn't feel good to put it all up and to do the whole shebang and then take it down 25 days later. 
Hmm. Um, you obviously have to start delegating to your kids. Yeah, I mean, gosh, the the tree's like ten and a half feet tall, so that's like a. It doesn't come in ten feet. It's like in the. It comes in pieces. It's like in the attic, and attics in Arizona are a little bit weird. You got to do like Spider Man stuff ladders. to like. Oh, like ladders. ours, it's like you got to do some Spider Man stuff to get up there. Oh, okay. Like it's, Carson's always impressed with what I have to do, the maneuver. I was it's trying it's, to get a, it's you like out a, of it. It's a muscle up that I'm doing to get in there to connect it back to fitness. Functional fitness. <laughs> um, okay, James. What's going on, man? What are you looking at? Uh, well, did you give us an update as to what's going on? I mean, we kind of inculcated oh, there, man. With uh, yeah, I think I seasons. think we kind of hit it. Like you know, you I you mean, brought up seasons. I no, talked she, about what's happening. You st- no, the, no. I was. She I said she's just happy to be here. I'm just happy. happy to be here. Yeah, she's I do happy. have another so, reason that I'm happy right. though. I'll share it with the group. I got my purple belt in jujitsu this awesome. week. Congratulations! Yeah, awesome. nice. yeah. Good stuff. We're doing high we just high five. That is like not very us, but we high fived. Um, I'm yeah. I'll, I'll share that. It was a huge goal of mine this year to uh, get that purple belt. I don't really know why. Uh, you know, just it's jujitsu is one of those things where there are very clear like checkpoints along the way um, through that belt system, and it felt like a really good thing to aspire to. And I'm really glad I checked that off. Something I kind of learned through through that process that I don't think I was aware of yet, because when you go from white to blue, you're kind of just like so new to it and giddy to it, and like you're not taking it quite as seriously yet. But it was a little anticlimactic. Like I, I pegged a lot to like, I'm getting this purple belt. And then I got it on Monday and it felt great. Um, surrounded by people I love, great training partners. And then it was like, all right, on to training the next day. There was no big shift or change. And I think, you know, we, people discuss that as it relates to marriage and to all of these other things, like nothing actually changes, which was a really great reminder to me that it's not about the belt, right? It's not about those steps along the way. It's about just enjoying uh, what you're doing and, Gosh, if I could take like one piece of advice uh, from that to someone who's looking to incorporate movement, whatever they might do in their life. It's not that you have to enjoy and have fun with it every day, but you've got to be bought into that process. Nice. So that's good, nice. good lessons yeah. in there. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank yeah, you. Good stuff. Um, with me, I'll go really quick. Um, you don't have to be. I'll, I'll I'll try to make it okay. quick just so we can get to the to the good stuff. Put, um, put the timer on. <laughs> Uh, last Saturday, Colton, 11-year-old, uh, they won their semifinal game, so they're in the championship this week. But he's bummed out because uh, we booked a we booked a uh, scheduling with youth youth sports here in Arizona is an absolute catastrophe. It's uh, the most unorganized thing in the world. So we booked a trip to Atlanta this weekend to go to do our annual Chicago Bears away game. Um, so we're leaving on Friday, and his championship game's on Saturday. So he's going to miss the championship. So uh, it's okay, but the, they won. You know, hopefully they uh, bring home that ring. Cool. Um, so, yeah, that was that was something cool that happened on Saturday. Um, James, you mentioned it, but there's a lot of uh, – there's a lot of <laughs> – a lot of interesting things going on here, kind of looking at all this stuff from the sidelines with elections and stuff like that. And yeah. we had a big announcement uh, here last night, of course. Um, and it's going to be interesting over the next few years how people re- respond and react to that. Um, I'll leave it there. Yeah, yeah, I think it's just going to be entertaining to mm-hmm. look at from the sidelines. Um, For sure. Yeah, nothing, uh, nothing new outside of putting up Christmas lights, like Candace said, and uh, just being happy to be here. Grateful to be here. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. Yeah, you didn't. I, funny you didn't mention uh, selling off the equipment. Uh, we did spend that's, a lot of bit of time in the garage too, redoing our garage gym. Nice. Because I recently moved into a new home. 
uh, end of August, and I had previously had a single car garage in my condo. That was a gym, and I was doing a lot more uh, very functional training, a lot more ins- uh, functional inspired training. I was using a lot of aerobic equipment, so um, now doing a lot more bodybuilding and sustained work. So uh, just changing up the gym a little bit. Yeah, super. Yeah. Well, I get the benefit. I get a s- new skier. Oh, did you replace. buy her skier? Yeah. I just have the to like. I wanted it. I, I broke it. One I wanted it, but I was like, oh, I can't want to oh, spend, thank you. spend the money Well, thank it. you. <laughs> I just got to bring up the moment that years ago, the skierg from the old gym went into the back of Carl's truck when you still had the truck. Oh, and James, yes. you got on that thing and you skied while Carl was very slowly driving around the parking lot. Yeah, that was good. Um, if the camera yeah. was at the right angle, it looked Look pretty cool. Gosh, like I, I was propelling the gosh, vehicle. Gosh, I forgot about that. That was yeah. a that was a funny moment. Do you also remember me walking a small horse? Yes, I do. I still have photos <laughs> and videos lot. of that on my phone. I look back on them and okay. smile sometimes. Because that outdoes the skier in yeah. the back of the truck. The right? small horse was amazing. Uh-huh. I thought you were going to say all the times you walked your bike to OPEC says you lost uh, tires on your way. Mm, <laughs> on sad. your way here. <laughs> sad memories. All right, many, many a distance. Many what? feet. Many steps, lots of steps. We're dedicated lots to steps. busted tires. All right, let's get into it, James. Uh, mm-hmm. Kick us off. What are you looking at this week? Uh, yeah, my well, not what I'm looking at. Again, it's uh, you got to set me up a little better because you know I don't have anything to look at. It's, All right, what are you uh, thinking about? Yeah, what are you thinking it's not about that this either? Week? We should start by saying, how should we start that? What's on your radar? No, because it's not. Uh, what do you want to say today, James? James, what do you want to talk hey, about? Georgia, <laughs> thanks. Uh, you, know what? you know what? Uh, the All-American Award goes to uh, Abraham Lincoln. Uh, just because I'm reading a book on it, and I'm uh, 150 pages into this 500-page uh, uh, recollection, just to re- we talked about it last time, but just to quickly review, this was written in uh, 1917 uh, by... Lord Charnham, I think, is his name. Um, anyways, this uh, English intellect that was writing about the perspective of Abe Lincoln in a biography from that side of the pond and knowing all about things. So anyways, it uh, gives a great uh, rendition of early ages and uh, the identification and the early roots that were built on what he was seeing happening. Um, you know, new knowledge for me on the North and the South and uh, new knowledge for me on the Missouri land project and the Louisiana project and the states and organization. Anyways, it's been great. And, uh, yeah, so I think if uh, we were back in that time and we were, like, p- trying to point out who are people that give off indications of vitality, uh, Abraham Lincoln would be one of those people. Um, so he gets that award posthumously, I guess it's called, <laughs> uh, the award for Did that. Did you see the movie? I did. Lincoln? I yeah, did. It's been so long, though, so I have to... It's been. I, I think I watched it as soon as it came out. Okay. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis did a phenomenal job, um, and I think it's a good time to review. After I finish this, though. Question. Why, yep. why do you say... Not to stay here for too long, but why mm-hmm. do you say he would be the, um, the... the Not the definition, but when you think about vitality, how he would be the person that stands out there? What makes you say that? Yeah, I think the first thing that comes to mind uh, is heterodox opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's hard for us to recognize, but at that period of time, a lot of the things that Abraham uh, thought and wanted to speak about was indifferent to what his quote-unquote you know, future party thought, as well as what the Southerners thought that was a good idea. 
Um, and so I think that that is a, like our third pillar of what we talk about and moving every day and eating real food. Um, it's uh, just having heterodox thought, being a critical thinker and, and maybe thinking big picture of yeah. stuff. And I really appreciate that. Cool. Yeah. So, um, yeah, outside of that, just a, a, a something I just, uh, I just hiked. Um, I always wanted to hike Bell Pass to Wingate Loop and back down to Gateway Loop. I'm not sure if you guys recognize yeah. what I'm talking. How yeah, long so is that? That's a uh, 10.5 miles mm-hmm. in the to- in total from 104th Street. And uh, you leave and go up Bell Pass, and then you go over Bell Pass in the saddle there, all the way down, um, and behind this is called Wingate Loop to the Pass, over to Inspiration Point, and then down that other side. And I, you know, been up Bell Pass numerous times, and just like, ah, I'm not gonna take it, because I knew what the distance was. And I planned on it last week. It didn't work, and this week I finally hiked it, and it was man, it was beautiful back there. Holy crap! And no one, all by myself, 9 a.m. Birds, beautiful sunshine just coming over. Yeah. Man, what day was this? Uh, Tuesday. So okay. yesterday. Okay. Yeah. So awesome. I accomplished that, and uh, learned a lot. Yeah, it was it was awesome. Good stuff. That's my check-in, or that's yeah. what's. That's, that's what's, what's up. That's what's on my mind. Well, I, to be fair, I said, James, what's on your mind? And you oh, said that you? wasn't good. You said, what do you want to talk about? Oh. Okay, what's up? Well, yeah, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> <laughs> James, Let's I don't leave know, it there. Whatever, she, whatever, right. whatever she right. said. <laughs> oh, we'll just go for a drum roll next time and then pause it Yeah, something here. better. Mm-hmm, okay. A little more dramatic. Something better. Want to learn more about the Live a Larger Life show? Visit livealargerlifeshow.com to learn more about our mission Meet our hosts, browse past episodes, and more. Do you get to go? Yeah, Georgia? I'll go. I'll yeah, go. What are, so what are you looking at? Does that work what, for you? Can I say what, what I'm looking, I'm looking at? at? Absolutely works. Okay, cool. So uh, I brought, I'm bringing to the table today a uh, study that came out yesterday, actually, November 15th. Uh, it was published in the Human Reproduction Update, and I'm going to read the title. So Temporal Trends in Sperm Count, a Systematic Review and Meta-Regression Analysis of Samples Collected Globally in the 20th and 21st Centuries. Uh, this was by Levine et al., and it's actually a follow-up to a study that came out in 2017 that got a huge amount of uh, traction and media publication about declining sperm rates. That study only included data up till 2011, uh, so I think from like the 70s till 2011, and it only included countries on uh, North America, Europe, and then Australia. So this recent meta-analysis that just came out also included South America, Africa, and Asia, as well as data, data post-2011. So goal of that was to understand, is this something that's happening on a global level, not just in these regions? And then is it something that's continued post-2011? And what, uh, what came out of that, uh, just to summarize very briefly, a uh, quote from Levine would be that overall, we're seeing a significant worldwide decline in sperm counts of over 50% in the past 46 years, a decline that's accelerated in recent years. And that time frame post 2000 has shown uh, an accelerated decline compared to everything that came before. Uh, it really did a good job of confirming the studies that you know were were already in play with that 2017 study, and then also supported the decline uh, in in men in those other regions that were brought to the table. And 
I guess thinking about why should we care? Uh, like, why is this something we should talk about on the Live a Larger Life podcast? Uh, obviously, fertility matters. <laughs> the future of our global population matters. Uh, there's arguments around, um, are there too many people living on Earth? And is that a different problem? But I think we want to know that as a, as a race, we're going to be able to uh, continue to procreate. And then just also the low levels of uh, sperm being associated with increase in chronic disease, uh, in testicular cancer, and then uh, in decreased lifespan overall. So if we're talking about health, that seems like an important issue to bring to the table. This study didn't uh, propose any of the reasons why this is happening. It really called for greater uh, insight and uh, research into why we're seeing these declining levels in uh, sperm concentration and then total sperm count as well. In a little, um, I guess, press release that came out with the study uh, that was authored by Levine, uh, he did highlight that um, there is uh, things that are happening uh, to the fetus when it's in the reproductive tract that he believes are ultimately leading to this lifetime impairment in fertility. So there's something that's happening in the womb uh, where... There's lifestyle factors, environmental factors that mean that men grow up to have poor reproductive health. So, yeah, I really wanted to open it up to the group today and just get your perspective because um, I'm sure this is something, Carl and James, you have especially thought about. Yeah, for sure. And why we've thought about it? Because we are males and this only occurs in males. I just want to make that point as humorous as that sounds. Um, sperm counts can only occur in biological adult males or biological males um, and the conversation around that it does have uh, you know implications for both you and I more personally but I also want to say on the back end of that because uh, we discussed it this morning really in a uh, fitness and youth uh, podcast that I do uh, a conversation on just because you don't in your particular situation you don't have sperm doesn't make it that you shouldn't be a voice that speaks about that um, so you know, on the back end of me saying this only occurs in males, it by all means goes the opposite way when we want to flip the switch and also talk about eggs and reproduction, et cetera. So I uh, just want to uh, thank you for actually bringing it up and bringing it to light. And you are have just as much onus uh, for the conversation um, to be able to speak about and bring it up because I think the collective idea is health for, for everyone. Absolutely. I would, I would uh, not argue your point, but the concept that people have on on fertility because of reproduction for population. I think we've discussed that before for um, like the, the far reaching effects of that. And that kind of gets a little gray when we're like, well, we need to reproduce to like, you know, keep the population growing. I just don't know if that's the, the deepest reason is we need to do it. I think that I'd like to, my, my opinion on is that I think it's important because we need to be able to be fertile but we don't necessarily need to be reproducing. Sure, if that re makes sense. reproductive health is a reflection of someone's overall health. Yeah, yeah. Now that may not end up because of decision-making or, you know, how honestly, excuse me, fucked up, you know, society is today for high cost of education, the cost for a house, uh, the, the, the lack of support, you know, to have four or five kids running around. Um, I, I'm heartened by that, right? So, but that still doesn't mean that you want to, get everything together to be able to reproduce. So I think it's, I, I call it ability for fertility uh, as being the, the primary thing. Um, I also am interested in the, the context of mobility in that because I've done some research uh, preliminary on this and I'm kind of wary on where the message is coming from and why, you know, is there in, is there in some deep, deeper, darker message on the background of that? 
Um, and when I get into the area of sperm motility, that's where that's where the numbers don't always plan out the same way as sperm counts. Does that make sense? Yes. So counts doesn't always mean that you're not going to be able to get someone pregnant. So it's the motility of that or the capability of that that kind of connects to it. So I, I don't know if, um, yeah, I'm just always, I'm always worrisome of, you know, the, the, the stuff that goes out on, you know, the white, it's, it's called, well, in language, it's called white boy crisis or, you know, the crisis that's going on, you know, with young men that it's just language of this called that. And then it leads to all these like, oh, what's, what's happening here and et cetera. And then all of a sudden you end up having Tucker Carlson do a, you know, documentary on it, um, which just, just colors it in a way is like, oh my gosh, you know. What, what what's going on here so that was addressed in in the okay. uh, review so just to like quote it briefly it says while sperm count is an imperfect proxy for fertility um the sperm concentration and total sperm count are closely linked to fertility chances and then it looked at what the um the range was the 40 to 50 million uh, milliliter as not necessarily implying a higher probability of conception if you're above that if you're below it, the probability of conception drops off a lot. And then on a population level, the mean sperm concentration went from 104 to 49 million uh, per milliliter. So yeah. very close to that 40 to 50 range where yeah. things can become problematic. Yeah. And that's still, so that's what I'm saying that there's a lot of unagreeable research out there on uh, drops a lot. Got it. Yeah. The, you know, from what I've seen, there's, you know, counts basically that they looked at and then over here there was motility and it's got a lot to do with people who have really high counts and this is what screwed up all the research people had really high counts of sperm but real poor motility and so to continue on with that which i'm interested not just your point of view because you brought it up but everyone's is you know this does connect into the concept of what live a larger life for you know what's the next steps that go on with that right so uh and i wrote down concepts of libido and vigor um, these are the next steps that are connected to that. I think that is a much more of a problematic thing. And that's an area that I personally am interested in, in terms of, uh, just put it in an avatar, young boys and the appreciation of aggressiveness and play and physical expression. That's where I fit in. So I'm not sure if anyone has any, uh, stops on top of it. Do they talk about, um, correlations between testosterone levels i don't think so well. no i don't think that was pulled out in this in this review yeah i mean because i'm I, I haven't seen the i haven't seen like the the charting of like this is what sperm counts have been over the past you know 50 years or whatever whatever they're looking at there but i have seen that with testosterone i would just be interested to see like is that curve following the same uh trend over the last 50 years in testosterone because um as we know right it's like testosterone is needed to to produce sperm, but it's not the most important thing needed to produce sperm. So you'll see someone with like, you know, uh, extremely low testosterone levels. And when they check their sperm counts, their sperm counts are like well above what's needed to reproduce. Um, but I, th I, I would imagine that there has to be some correlation to like this decreasing sperm count and, and the decreasing testosterone in men as well. There's a quick little quote in, in here. Furthermore, the decline in sperm count is paralleled by declines in testosterone and increases in testicular cancer and male genital uh, anomalies. But I don't think it's played out in any like visual chart. Yeah. No, that's interesting, though. It's because, an indirect way. Yeah. And, an and what you way. said, what you said, like Hoover's the, book uh, called T. 
yeah. Carol Hoover's book on mm-hmm. that. That's what I she thought about. She nails that yep. in regards to the same idea. So you're both, we're both coming at it from the different angle, but I don't think we can do this. No. That this is over here and that's going to be. But it's interesting that. because uh, what Georgia just said and what you said five minutes ago around like they should be, uh, a male should be able to reproduce, mm-hmm. right? Or a female should be able to reproduce. Um, when we start looking at the consequences of males and females not being able to reproduce, and I'm not like jumping there and saying it is a rise in testicular cancer because I haven't done enough research to say that confidently, but I wouldn't be surprised if mm-hmm. rises in testicular cancer are correlated with lack of testosterone in the testes, lack of sperm. Um, and then, you know, uh, I know we talked about this a few shows ago, but the ability for females to menstruate as well, right? It's like, you know, there's there's a there's a group of females out there um, that are like good with not menstruating because they're like I don't have to deal with it, right? It's like I'm taking birth control, so I don't have to like deal with that. But their doctors, and, and um, to be fair, there's probably plenty of doctors that are giving good advice there, but I I don't think there's enough that are saying like, hey, don't get on this birth control because the you know although you don't want to menstruate on a monthly basis, like there's some health uh, there's some health benefits to doing so and we start looking at like rises in in ovarian cancers and stuff like that um i would take that leap as well and say like you know what what uh uh what part does the lack of uh, menstruating women have to play with the rise of of ovarian cancers right so that idea of like being able to and that how that connects to health and vitality i think that's something really important to think about yeah, there's not a lot of doctors out there, so I'd want to rechange <laughs> your words. No, and I don't include humor in it. That's reality. Yeah, um, there's not. Um, I, I, I'm hesitant though to, to take the jump into what medicine wants you to see with regards to the word cancer. Cancer occurs for a bunch of different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes it occurs in growths in specific areas because it's one of your systems that's the least uh, uh, strong at the time, right? So people can have different forms of cancers around the body. It doesn't mean that, quote unquote, like you just look at pancreatic cancer as one of them, right? So you're not always going to find that particular thing in people that were pounding sugar their whole life, mm-hmm. right? So then you're trying to find the, the weeds. It's like, oh, what was the culprit? And you can imagine putting that into a huge study, you know? So I, I, I'd be careful of taking the leap because also then when you say testicular cancer or ovarian cancer, people try to work their way backwards from that as a fear-mongering to say, oh, you better get your libido up, otherwise you're going to get testicular cancer. Now, we may not make that jump, but a lot of people will, right? So, but you got to know, I think, my perspective anyway, is they throw in the cancer word because it creates Mm fear-mongering. So people are like, you better get your shit together. And now to keep going on that, you know, tilt, because I always do, that's a medicated that's a medicated system. Medicine will put that in as a narrative because they know you need to come to us so that we can medicate you, whether it's going to be for depression or uppers or hormone replacement therapy, because they know they'll always in the end benefit from having to medicate you for the rest of your life. That's my, sorry, the conspiracy thing that has to jump in every time on medicine. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you too. Like, uh, you know, we can't always reverse engineer the exact reason why cancers um, appear occur. Yeah. Um, but, you know, with, with, with a good amount of cases, um, I've never had cancer, so I can't like put myself in the shoes of someone with cancer, right? But if I got cancer, if I got testicular cancer tomorrow, um, knock on something, hopefully that doesn't happen. But in my head, I would think about like, what, are, what, why, like, mm-hmm. why did that happen? Was it just like, you know, a uh, deformation of cells and it just like happened to happen in my testes or was it something that I did? Mm-hmm. Right. And I would like in my own head, and this is this probably sounds really stupid, but I would think about things like, oh my gosh, did I spend too much time on bikes? 
Like, mm-hmm. should I have not done yeah. that? Was there like restriction in blood flow yeah. down there? Was it this? Was it that? Was it my diet? Mm-hmm. Uh, did I eat too much red meat? Like, mm-hmm. I think we always kind of go through that. Um, the yeah. humans always go through that of like trying to understand, uh, you know, hopefully they make it through it so it doesn't happen again. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but I'm, I'm with you, but I'm going to save the other part because I'm actually going to talk about that in, in my piece. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I think people could, yeah. Cancer just to cancer is very complex and it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, we still don't have, you know, answers to it. So I'm always hesitant to, you yeah. know, cause think about the ovarian cancer thing, right? Like to say, which you didn't say, but to think about that, like people won't experience a certain number of menstrual cycles for their life. That has no correlation to ovarian cancer, no matter what you say. Then you add birth control to it, or you add up different changes or amenorrhea at a certain point in life or, you know, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. It, it just gets very clouded because people say, oh, it's the, you didn't have this many menses. And what happens if someone has perfect menses and five kids? They actually miss like 12 years of menstruation, right? Think, so think about that. So can that be connected to ovarian cancer? Guess what? It doesn't. So breastfeeding and having children actually decreases the chance of it. So you see how it gets like, it gets clouded in terms of like, well, how did it lead to ovarian cancer? And I'm just picking on that one because yeah, yeah. then people try to, it's, it's got to be the re- reproductive health of that individual. It's like, no, actually, they could have had something that happened endocrinology-wise when they were 16 to 19 in an exposure to a certain kind of chemical uh, or drank a certain water that just took 25 years to kind of put itself together. See, that's what can- that's how cancer is so... So complex. Sorry, Carl, but I just... No, no, no. Yeah. I think we always, I think naturally, and you know, even if you go down the rabbit hole of like cancer research, right? What are they looking at? They're looking at, um, when has this, when was this cell exposed to conditions that weren't quote unquote normal? And that's, that's, that's how, that's like the starting point of like what caused it, right? It's like, well, the air today is, is a lot different than it was a hundred years ago is the air causing cancer. Um, sperm counts are a lot lower than they were 50 years ago. Is that causing cancer? Water, uh, quality of water has completely, uh, we wouldn't even call it like, you know, what we get out of our tap quality water anymore. Is that, is that leading to, right? So I do agree with you. It's a, it's a, it's a rabbit hole, but I think everything's a reach in it right now because there's nothing that, you know, there's nothing that proves or disproves outside of, um, you know, putting like... (laughs) Something as as uh, as as simple as you know, I've been breathing in like uh, I've been working in the coal mines for 15 years, and then I got lung cancer. It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, it's probably working in the coal mines that caused that. Yeah, and that gets a little gray out in public, and there's numerous uh, you know documentaries and studies to show this, which is why I'm glad this topic's up and we're discussing it because it does tie into those little things that add up over time that can lead to cancer. Um, cancer today is actually rife with uh, only diagnostics and taking care of the actual issue. Uh, so uh, to your point, you may be thinking that cancer researchers do that. Actually, 1% of all cancer research is dedicated to preventative means. That's the big issue that the public has with it is we spent 30 years dumping all this money into figuring out cancer. And then we're like, so what are you guys doing in there? And you know what they're doing? They're just taking care of people who have cancer. Not a lot of the energy is focused on the things like your point, clean drinking water, sugar for 25 years of your life, like things that people are like, oh, there's no fucking way that's going to be connected to cancer because we just, why? Because we're only studying when it shows up, right? And again, there's a lot of energy and emotion in that because it has, you can, you you know, everyone has good intentions in there trying to study it, right? Because they're like, damn, 
you know, I lost someone to cancer. You know what it's like, you know, cancer, fuck cancer. You know, you see, this was like, well, uh, how, why don't we just take a second to breathe and say, you know, why could that, your point, that possible occurrence of all these cell growths happen? Like, what the, what the fuck was, you know, what does that happen? And you know where we're spending money on it? Oh, it must be genetic. It's like, seriously, that's where we're, that's where we're going with it? Like, no one's, you know. Anyways, th there have been documentaries and stuff on those things, which I already is tied into testosterone yep. scores. And that was done through Silent Spring and a bunch of different readings back in the day. Aaron Brockovich shit, you know, up upended a bunch of stuff of that. But what ends up happening? You just dump money on the people that were the survivors, to your point, on the, the health of the lungs, et cetera. And then wash your hands of it, and then we just keep moving on, but nothing really changes for it. To but I'm empathetic to the change because you're talking about a toppling of a moss monster industry. To bring it back to the sperm count uh, question and, and that large decline that's happened over the last 50 years or so, do you think that mirrors what's happening in increases in cancer, i.e. there's all of these different lifestyle factors and small little ticks that people are being exposed to over and over and over again they're ultimately like leading to this occurrence i don't know yeah yeah i don't know i don't think anyone does yeah i mean sh a lot of shit has happened in the past 50 years yeah i was reading uh this is my last point on this i think um i was reading an article this morning that was comparing um it was it was only men but it was comparing uh how strong a man was on average 30 to 40 years ago versus today and it was it was very interesting uh like the just because they, they looked at they looked at grip strength they looked at uh they looked at the squat and they looked at the bench press and the it was like n equals i think it was like 3500 or 4000 on each side um i didn't i didn't get it i didn't like really dig in so um don't ask any other questions on this one um but it was like 3,500 or 4,000, and it was interesting because it was like average bench press, and it seemed really high, but bear with me. Average bench press went from, it was 254, 255 or something like that, which seems really high it for does. an average. Yeah, it was, I don't know the cohort of people that they were looking at. I can tell you if you want to start to attend. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, they do because we did it. You do an extrapolation from a universal uh, 10RM score, mm -hmm. and then you can extrapolate that based upon mathematical models to determine a 1RM. It's called an indirect method of determining a 1RM. Yeah, but so there's no way people did. There's like no a, way. Like there's 4,000 like regular absolute, Joes did 254. Yeah. Not a chance. So I didn't dig into like where they got it, but I'm I'm sure you're right on that. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, it was like 254, 257, and then today it was like 215. Not even two, two wheels. 212, <laughs> 212 or 215. How, how sad is that? Um, <laughs> and the squat was actually. Uh, much more dramatic um but it was interesting right it was like because mm. you asked that and it's like i don't know the answer to it but i would imagine people are just eating less good food they're moving less and men are just weaker today than they were 30 years ago mm. right? I, w I always think my dad is just like Gosh, he never lifted it. weights never like deliberately trained mm -hmm. outside of like school and like uni setting but yeah. he just has like that old man strength yeah, yeah like he's just strong it's so bizarre and i just i wonder if dads in the future will have have dad strength or not oof doesn't sound like it. These, these dads will. Yeah, dad strength is like, I mean, like true dad strength is like you're strong because you're doing something like every day. Yeah, yeah. I was I mean? going to say, I don't think there's a lot of that around anymore. No. I mean, My dad's you're, you're doing like what are we something doing right laboring now, right? every day. We're sitting down talking to a camera, yeah. right? That's our job. Mm -hmm. These people, whether he got it from that lineage or whatever, uh, that's just built into their system for survival. Yeah. They had to do that stuff, yeah. you know.
It's just not anymore. As I said, a lot of shit's happened in the past 50 years with regards to the requirement to move and the requirement to be aggressive, and that's why I'm interested in the topic. Yeah, but we can't, like, you know, and we're going to get even further into that 50 years from now, right? But, you know, and I'm not saying you're saying let's use it as an excuse and, you know, let's not have dad strength in 50 years, but we have to, like, adapt to the times along with it, right? So uh, with with someone not adapting, it's like they're not doing physical labor and they're not doing anything else in their life, right? Mm-hmm. Like they're not doing anything where they have to like mm-hmm. do that, right? Or like yeah. tense up and, and use their muscles, yeah. right? So um, that adaptation, not adaptation, that's the wrong term, but the adapting over time has to happen, right? Like we yeah. can't just say we're okay with it. Yeah, this this brings us back to our the reason for this show and one of our primary things is to meddle with that issue that we have that's present which is we don't need to move, but we need to come up with strategies that inspires people to want to move. That's it. So that's why I always drop to the pessimist side and say statements like in 50 years, is it going to be better like getting dad strength? No, there's no chance it's going in that direction. So to your point, which is great, because that's what we need is an inspiring voice of like, well, don't you think we should come up with ways to inspire people to want to be aggressive and to do things every day? I totally agree. But that takes yeah. mindset. Yeah. It does. It takes belief. Cool. Thanks, Sorry, Georgia. Quiet, that was a beefy guys. one. You guys were, you guys were doing oh, yeah. hey, the Candace. cancer stuff. And I just hey, want like my, my mind was cycling through the last five years of my life. Obviously, yeah. uh, I'm just old. We'll openly share that uh, I'm, yeah, five years post-op of a hysterectomy for having uterine cancer or pre-cancer um, that was caught in a annual pap and went through that whole process, which just like shook up a lot of things. Um, and then obviously recovering on the, the downturn hormonally. Uh, pre this, I was on birth control from like the time I was 15 to 35 where when, uh, when this happened. And, you know, rationalize in my mind that, you know, you just attack things that are in front of you and like process through them and uh, had my had my family and friends all around me be super upset because, you know, I was like the healthy one in the family. How could this be happening where there were no warning signs? And, and now all of a sudden, you know, you can't have children. This is being taken away from you. Um, yeah. And then just going through that whole process, getting back to healthy and then now being in a place where I'm about to get married and and children is an issue and all. Yeah. So it's like, it is uh, just a lot going through my mind as you guys are having that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for uh, being a fly in the wall for it and uh, speaking about your story, which I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's timely and it's going to, it's going to make our uh, show and our, our, uh, you know, the collection of thoughts here even more. Yeah. Powerful I mean, it's time. happening younger and younger. I think when it happened, when I went through that process at 35, you know, it was more so a conversation that was happening amongst women and they're like between 35 and 40. And I was on the younger end of the spectrum, but that conversation, uh, you know, women having hysterectomies because of some type of uterine or ovarian cancer is happening in early twenties now, which is just such a early age to even process any of this information and to make decisions that impact the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. And not a lot of information is out there yeah. about what to do or why or prevention or yeah. Well, there's lots on what to do right now. Right. That's my point. Lots Go of research. And t- oh, is, yeah. These are the things you do. Life. This is how yeah. you get on with things, et cetera. But the, there's not a lot of information on, you know, i.e. you being a, a study as an N equals one for two years with a medical practitioner that says, I need to go through everything mm-hmm. of your life. 
Yeah. Right. Because if you did you detailed that 10,000 times with the exact same scenario of a 35 year old male or for 35 female experiencing the same thing, the shit that people would uncover that you would see amongst everyone's mm-hmm. no one would want to see. And it's interesting. No one I, would want to I see. remember that's the issue. That's I remember the, the doctor issue. sitting with me and saying, um, since this is pre-cancer, there is the opportunity for us to consider a partial hysterectomy, which could potentially, you know, down the road, uh, you, you could have could potentially attempt to have children, but there's not, that won't even ensure that you could effectively carry and, and have, so like that was a discussion, but it was more of a fear. It was like, but if you, but if you only have a partial, there's a huge chance that this cancer could come back in an aggressive way. And then, then you're in a world of hurt and then you've gone through, then you might have to go through this procedure twice. So yeah, a lot of discussion around like instantly get this surgery. That is a permanent decision. Um, but really almost no discussion outside of fear of, well, what's the, what are the alternatives? Yep. Well, thanks for, thanks for that one, Georgia. Um, <laughs> yeah, we went long on yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> it felt like we had to point it somewhere to be like, it's my yeah, fault. you brought that up. <laughs> no, no, it's no, totally I thought okay. it was a good I'm, show. I thought it was I a mean, good conversation. I mean, I'm emotionally, yeah. uh, you know, sharing. have dealt with yeah. it. I'm okay to share. I, re- I really would like for there to be, you know, more options, especially as, you know, women are being, are being forced into having this discussion in their early twenties. Uh, they're, you don't know what you don't know in yeah. your early 20s. You don't know what you want yeah. for the rest of your life in your 20s, and it's and they're big decisions yeah. to make. Yeah, I'm glad you spoke up because I always discuss that. It's not particular to you, but I always discuss that for that, uh, that quote-unquote doom or terror that comes with not being able to reproduce and have children of your own. I feel that. I'm very heartened by that because I've seen females in front of me experience that with the deepest sense that they could nurture. Um, so the way that those individuals, though, have moved on is being a voice for younger individuals and being a role model to say, this is what's happening in your life right now. And they may not be getting it from their parent. So it takes a coach or someone who's been through that to say, hey, you can, quote unquote, still act as a nurturer in society. And the way that you'll do that may not be through your own children, but it's going to be through you being a voice for people to make sure that they live a largest life as possible when they're young. So, um, just, just sometimes people don't connect that they still may have something to connect to that's worthwhile doing. It may not actually look like having children in some way, shape, or form through your own uterus, but you can certainly still make an impact to help others. And we sure shit need that, I tell you. Absolutely. Well, a uh, quick pivot, I guess, into my yeah, radar. Which yeah, what are you looking at? <laughs> uh, <laughs> smoke right now. Yeah. <laughs> everyone, everyone can be free of that um, potential emotional uh, bombshell, I guess. Um, we're good. We navigated it. Um <laughs> Okay, so Disney was on my radar this week, uh, kind of coming off of the back of uh, the CEO uh, opposing the DeSantis uh, education bill in Florida. Obviously, uh, very polarizing topic. Uh, Disney CEO got quite a bit of of heat. um, But coming off the back of that has released uh, a new series of shorts in this most recent one. Uh, It's around, uh, it's called Reflect. It's around an overweight ballerina, a young girl who kind of enters the ballet class, is very excited about the experience she's about to partake in, um, dancing in a very playful way. The rest of her students enter um, the dance studio with her instructor. She clearly looks uh, very different than the rest of the girls in the class and has this moment of um, kind of insecurity that overtakes her. From what I understand, the narrative of the short is all around um, self-acceptance and body positivity and her kind of breaking through the stereotypes in her mind 
I would love to believe that Disney takes this in a way where she kind of overcomes any of those insecurities, uh, pursues dance and obviously a healthy lifestyle along with that. And the story unfolds that way. I don't actually know how the story unfolds because I did not want to support Disney Plus by watching the whole thing. Um, But in my kind of rabbit hole of looking through this original short, I kind of looked back at a more recent short that they had uh, released last year in 2021 that was called Inner Workings. And the love interest of the main character um, had kind of the opposite uh, but this uh, unrealistic body ideal of like a very very tiny waist and very large hips and and rear side and they got a lot of heat for uh, introducing characters that looked like that uh, the polarizing discussion right now around reflect and the ballerina is obviously just uh, conditioning kids to think that um, being overweight is is okay and and normalizing that and not normalizing um the desire to keep improving and focus on health um, so it was just a really interesting uh kind of issue there's a ton of comments on the youtube videos a ton of comments on anyone who's done um, memes or posts about it on on instagram and most of them are all negative i think that is heavily building off the back of of the other issue that disney uh the disney ceo kind of rejecting that education bill and so there's a lot of obviously conservative voices very upset at disney around that but this for this issue in particular with reflect um, yeah, I'd like to hope they take it in a very positive direction. But. Yeah, I, I'll, I'm going to have to give it a watch because I don't know anything about the story or anything like that. Um, the thing that comes to mind immediately is I do love the idea of a diverse body type being involved in physical activity like dance, right? It might be a different story uh, if, if that weren't the case and it wasn't about like getting out and moving and doing something healthy. But I do think that young kids who might feel self-conscious about their, you know, the way they look, their body could benefit from seeing someone that looks like them doing a healthful activity like that. I have a very vivid memory. I had a chubby stage when I was a young girl, like kind of like around about like eight to 10 years and I danced and I have very vivid memory of standing in my grandmother's kitchen talking with my mom and I put on my leotard for the day and I asked her, do I look too fat in this? And It's awful that I even asked my mom that question. Like, I don't know where that came from. And she looked at me and said, absolutely not. Like, let's go to dance class right now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, And I had a very positive influence from her in that regard. But yeah, I think um, kids knowing that regardless of where they are right now, that they can go and engage in an activity uh, like dancing is, is a good thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sim- I had similar background. I grew up in dance as well, but ballet in particular. Um, and I, I, I think all all children go through those phases where you're you're growing out before you grow up, mm-hmm. and all of those things feel uncomfortable. And and I remember feeling like, oh wow, I'm one of the larger girls in this class. And and I had a very traditional ballet instructor who would use a yardstick and tap the floor for the rhythm, and also tap our bellies if we weren't holding our posture in, and tap our rear ends if they weren't tight as well. And um, Although I think a lot of that strictness uh, can create some unhealthy behaviors, it also, in, in my experience, was this cause of awareness and a, and a desire to improve. Um, and I took it in a very positive light. But I know that there's some girls that can take that, some young girls can take that to the extreme and then obviously um, have very unhealthy relationships with food and, and fitness for, for their life. But yeah, I, this one hit home for me, and I agree. If it's like, uh, if it is a way into exercise, um, and that story is about this this young girl Bianca unfolding or uncovering very positive lifestyle behaviors, I I'm like super excited to see if that is where they take it. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, you know, you walking through that, and this is with me not knowing. I know, I know I asked you a few questions on it, but not knowing what the what the narrative really is. But um, 
it's like, wh- why do we always try to find, and when I say we, I just mean like, you know, us as a society, right? Like, I don't know what the comments were and or, or any of that, but it just feels like we're always trying to find the negative in everything. And I get it, right? It's like, what's the track record? You know, what is the most recent track record of Disney? Um, but, you know, even if you disagree with what they're doing, they can do good things. And I'm not saying this is a good thing, so I have no idea, but it's like, can... I'm going to, I'm going to go out, you know, I'm going to be very polarizing and say, let's say Disney is immoral, right? Like, let's go way over there. It's like, I just, you know, what, what came to mind, it's like, can immoral people or immoral entities do moral and positive things? You know, and, and, you know, I I don't know. Are we only ever one thing, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, you know, you walk through that and I'm like, I don't see anything wrong with that. Like, I, I, I haven't watched the video. Right. Um, but it's like, yeah, there's a, you know, a heavier set, you know, I mean, I see the picture of the girl looks like she's probably 10 years old or something, uh, animated 10 years old. Uh, but you see a heavier set, 10 year old dancing. It's like, what's the problem with that? Right. There are heavier set 10 year olds. Um, if that was a picture of, uh, a heavier set 10 year old, um, sitting down and eating Cheetos and like being really happy that she's heavier set. That's a totally different conversation. And I would imagine that's the conversation that's happening in comments. Like, how dare you normalize this, push this out there, blah, blah, blah. Again, I don't know the narrative, but if it's just a heavier set 10 year old dancing in front of a mirror, it's like, what, what the hell's wrong with that? Um, so yeah, and from what it looks like, you know, she's battling her own reflection and the insecurities and, and using it to act to actually uh, can get over that and continue to dance. Yeah. So that seems yeah. positive. Yeah, I think there's different ways of going about it. Um, you front ended it by talking about politics and Florida and then connected it to Disney. And I think that doesn't shouldn't escape the conversation. Um, I think there's multiple ways that, you know, kids can be influenced from people who are in institutions that, uh, that are adults making these things. Um, that could raise awareness to particular stuff. But it's always going to get really weird when you start, you know, where, when adults start having conversations that that don't have kids uh, about what their child they think should see, you know. Um, to your point, which I, I, I am uh, sympathetic to that, but, you know, the these kids, regardless of what they see, so this would be the argument on the other side. Listen, let it happen. Let my nine-year-old... Uh, see this, right? Because it's Disney and this is what's going on. When the adults in the room are purposely, intentionally placing ableism and placing identity as the main thing that they want kids to recognize as being important. Do you see the issue there? Mm-hmm. You're, so, regar- so George, as a young kid, it looks like, oh, you know, this is what happens. Why did she even think that, right? That identity is important. Why? Because the film made by adults makes children want to say you know what identity is important and you can you can decide upon however you know what i'm saying and it's it's nefarious i i, I can see it on your screen right mm-hmm. it's nefarious it's an animated uh, well if, if you're gonna be like oh it's not nefarious they just want people to love their bodies then don't put her in a leotard don't make her a ballerina do you see what i'm saying like yeah. it's always this it's always this background thing that i can see how both sides are scared shitless oh freedom of expression to be able to see things and let kids make decisions for themselves nine-year-olds to make decisions on personal identity come on there's man. also a connection back i think um, so that's why it's i think do you see my point like that's why it's so easy to just point the finger 
right? Especially to your preempt, right? To point the finger now that this political shit is happening, when in the end we just simply forget and say, do we want our kids creating personal identity at age nine based upon your movies? I don't know. I don't know if we want. Yeah. And this also connects back to uh, this might have been the first uh, like lead character in a positive role that is plus size in one of these shorts or a Disney film. But in 2015, there was a big push for them to make uh, plus size Disney princesses and and push for that. And that was, I think, sort of like left on the table. Then there was a large uh, group of people who kind of unearthed that. Well, Disney characters that are villains are, are often depicted as overweight. And so there was this like cultural battle then in 2015. And then now it's like this comes back. But it comes back at a time where this education issue is also what, but what is the right what is the what is the right way to do it right it's like you know if, if we're talking about identity and it's so hard to not know disney's narrative because we've all seen it over the past few years like the zoom calls and what their you know um uh, executives are saying and what their plans are and what they want to do let's try to forget let's let's imagine that this isn't disney this is some other corporation that we don't know what the heck's happening behind the scenes but I would just argue that, you know, there's, you know, if you if you put any character on the screen, it's like that is an identity, right? Like, nope. is the old is the old princess is the old princess twenty years ago? Is that was that an identity yeah. or was that just like a yeah? You know what I mean? No, it's a good question. I you know I can see you're ready, you're jammed up here, ready to ready to go, but I'll <laughs> just because I had to get it out. I know I think again this comes back to my my ilk for conservatism and traditionalism is the concept that there were, there were ways of making young people think about creativity and imagination, but it happened in a different way in entertainment. And that could have been through things like Pinocchio, Seven Dwarfs, like, and, we, and we, draw these, we draw these moral stories that come from that imaginative process. This becomes real, like mm-hmm. you're, you know, and that's why, it, you know, I just I can't, make, I can't go there. Even the fact that they didn't choose a character who's a real female at 10 years of age, mm-hmm. right? And they won't answer that question. Why didn't you put a real character, uh, a deconditioned, overfat, 10-year-old female in a leotard dancing? You know, they wouldn't be able to have an answer for that. Oh, we can't. Why can't you have an answer for that? No, we're going to animate it. Therefore, you know that their intentions are nefarious. They're putting ableism as a concept. If you want to read a book on it, it's called Cynical Theories. It's the postmodernist concept of moving people into discomfort of a certain narrative that's how you do it you float it out there and say you deal with that you know who's got to deal with it the fucking parent has to deal with that right they're being influenced so i i i do think that uh, i'll try to come up with a way of it peter pan right go go watch the movie or whatever versions of it robin williams newest version or or whatever (laughs) and then draw some conclusions from it have some conversations after the film right and i know i sound old by saying that but gosh, you can't show me this and say we're going to learn some moral ideas from that. No, that's you're not going to learn that. Yeah. You know what's going to turn away? It's going to turn away what we honor, which is character and effort and capability of people. That's what we honor, right? I'd love to see her, like, uh, in metaphorically, not even be in the film, but know her story, if that makes sense. Like, I don't fucking care what she looks like in a leotard, but if she just dances in her own room and learns more about herself, that's what I'd like to have shared. Do you see that? But you can't sell that because she's not in a leotard and an animated person, you know? Dance like no one's watching. That's basically <laughs> what young kids need to learn about that. 
Yeah, who, I think who gives a shit? What whatever, are whatever's at? like. I don't know. I, I feel like we're we're just in a time, especially right now, where whatever the most controversial thing is um, in society, we look for it everywhere, right? And I'm not talking about this with this specific situation, but the reason why I asked the question of like, what if it was this other studio that did this thing and the princess looked a little bit different and they did they weren't doing it for nefarious reasons. I don't want to say we in this room, but, you know, the comments on social media would find issues with it, you know? So it's like, whatever the issues are right now that everyone's talking about and what everyone's like, their their radars are just like ready to pounce on the thing. Whenever they see it, they're going to they're gonna point it out as like, this is the issue. This is the problem. What, how are you doing this? How dare you? Right. Like, and we see it, we see it everywhere. Right. It's like the, you know, I was talking to you about like the, the Chappelle monologue, uh, the other day. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, if he would have done the same thing 10 years ago, hell five years ago, there would have been no talk about it, but because it's so top of mind and that's like the issue of today, mm -hmm. you can't say, the words that he said. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? So yeah. I guess that's where I'm coming from, James. Yeah, no. I, I don't I don't want to like say, hey, Disney is trying to do really good things and they're awesome because I have my own issues with Disney. I'm just saying like it's just it just sucks that we're in a world right now where we always have to look for the nefarious issues that that come along with anything. Yeah, yeah. I think we've been told to do that though. Yeah. So that's my point is like mm -hmm. you can't you can't have yeah, you can't it's hard to operate if in a post we'll call it a post journalism world where the story is what they want to have happen. If, if I'm making sense, they want you to have to do this. Yeah. Right. They want you to do this. So they go like this. And my point is, is that we need to it be all agreement in the room that they're going like this. That's what, that's all yeah, I'm yeah. saying. No, I'm, yeah. I'm with like, you there. How do we transcend it though? Right. Like how do we transcend? I, I, well, I can tell you what it's not. If it. we're going to continue going, you don't tell your kids to not watch it. This mm -hmm. is the point. Like, but I don't have trust that a lot of parents are going to have the conversations. Yeah. Right. I would love uh, two or three year earlier, my ch children to watch that. Let's have a conversation after. Yep. Right. Like, you know, um, yeah. Like my daughter, my, uh, I can see the docket of what, uh, Hannah has to read this year. Some stuff I don't agree with. Mm -hmm. Right. But I want her to read it because uh, I know that I'm capable of having a conversation yes. with her yes. on that. Mm -hmm. But you see, yeah. see, yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's one out of 20. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the thing. So that's the reality of what you're dealing with in your question. Well, how do you transcend that? Gosh, so how do we, I get how do really, we, how do we have, I think transcending pessimistic. it is that right. But how do we have the conversation? Like, I'm not asking you this. I'm asking you it for everyone, right? Like how does someone listening today that are, that's like, Hey, I look through that, you know, what, what my daughter's learning this year. And I don't know how to have the conversations. Like what would your, and <laughs> I know that's a big one, but it's like, mm. what, what comes to mind? Like, what should the person listening be thinking about to be able to have the conversations? I think I know you're going to go with it, but just want to hear it. Yeah. Um, gosh, that's a heavy burden, but I'll, I'll take a stab at it. Or why can you have it? Let's just talk about your story. Why can you have those conversations? Well, I think that's too easy. So I'll try the, the, the <laughs> former route. Um, I think you got to have love as the base support uh, mm -hmm. in, in your intentions going into it. If you give that off and that you really love this person, this little person on the other side, who you're responsible for, and you need to create a, a concept of security, they need to know that before you even enter the conversation with it, being uncomfortable or not, you have their back and regardless of how they perceive the particular topic. So if a parent hears that and they're like, well, there's no, you know, of course I do have love going in. Take a second, right? Because although we say that, we, we always have an ulterior motive, right? Like, oh, I, you know, 
set, heard this on the news and now this is my narrative, right? And then they can't even talk to their child because that's what they heard on the news, right? Because they think, oh, that's how you're supposed to reflect everywhere in society. No, it's, it's center right here. I love you coming into this, but I got to ask you, um, I'll be honest with you, I'm a little uncomfortable about what is proposed in the book. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on what you think about that or what you learned or et cetera. Now you're offering an adult, so I, there's a stab at it. Yeah. I don't know if it'll help, but... Yeah, it's just That's like what I would say. you know, I just think of the the old adage of like, you know, send your send your kids to Caesar and you're going to you're going to they're going to come back a Roman, mm-hmm. right? Where it's just like we're sending our kids to school for 8 hours a day, 5 days a week, 9 or 10 months out of the year, mm-hmm. right? So, um school is raising our children whether we like it or not. So, having the conversation I think is really, really important. The 19 out of the 20 are being raised by school, yeah. not my kids. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, yeah, I'm talking about, you know, the, the idea of mm-hmm. it, right. Mm-hmm. Um, if the transcending doesn't, if the transcending doesn't happen, cause we're talking about kids right now, right. Yes. We're talking about this 10 year old. Um, so that, that, I just think that has to be top of mind or like that has to be something that can't be overlooked because it's too easy for a lot of people to just say, yeah, it's good. Whatever they're learning over there, they'll they'll figure it out, right? Because that that hasn't worked. And you know, the 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 transcending is inside of that to me. Um, um, I'll give a quick story, really quick. I'll be I'll be tight on this because I know Georgia wants to say something on this one. Um, Colton came home uh, last week, and he had to write a or sorry, it was Monday, and he had to write a an essay on. Um, they, they watched a movie and they had to like, and they sent like the, you know, the, do we, do we have permission? Blah, blah, blah. I appreciated that. It's like, yeah, absolutely. You could watch the movie. Um, he comes home on Monday and, and the, the, they had to write a two page essay on one question. And the question was, why is diversity absolutely necessary? <laughs> that was the question. Right. And I was like, okay, so we're having a conversation about it. And, you know, I think diversity is a very good thing. Right. Like I, but you know, what's in our heads, it's like, what are they trying to teach our kids? What are the, you know, what are the parents saying at home? What are the kids coming back with the two page essay and what they wanted? Because the, the movie was about race, right? It was about like, you know, the, um, uh, I don't even want to say the movie, but the movie was about race. Right. And so the idea of diversity came from that idea. So, you know, we had a conversation around like, you know, diversity isn't only the color of your skin. Right. It's like, let's actually write a two page essay on the diversity of ideas. So we sat down and we wrote a two page essay or he wrote a two page essay on why uh, divergent and, and, and having a lot of diversity in ideas and thoughts in a room can be really important. Right. And if we would have just been like, hey, write the essay. Right. Where would it have gone? Right. It would have just been the it would have been a race thing. Right. Where it's just like. Oh, okay. And then, you know, you have an 11 year old that sits by themselves, writes two pages and the, you know, he, he actually has a solid teacher, right? So I don't think there's any nefarious things going on behind the scenes or not any, not much. Um, so what would have happened if he's, if he's sitting there by himself, writes two pages and like tells himself this story and builds this narrative based on that very specific question after watching this movie that only talked about race and race was like the big idea, you know, he may have talked himself into, you know, coming out of that, like diversity and race is the act, the absolutely most, 
important thing. And everything that we do in life has to lead to diversity and race. And I think we're there really, right? Like a, a lot of, a, a large percentage of our population is there uh, where it's like by any means necessary, as long as the outcome is that. And I think that's a, I think that's a huge problem. And sorry, I know I'm going long on this, Georgia. Um, we just have to be able to understand what our beliefs are, right? Like, and, and uh, have some knowledge around what the hell is going on in the world and in our kids' lives and all of that stuff. Uh, but we have, to, we have to be able to put in some reps of talking about things that you might not be that comfortable talking about with your children. I think transcending doesn't mean... Um, it doesn't mean not having the conversation, I guess, is what this whole, this, this whole thought process is that's going on in my head. And it's like, you know, James, you don't, you don't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. You guys don't have all the answers, but, um, we have to be able to like get there, you know, somehow, some way we have to get there. So having the conversation is important. And I think, you know, me asking that question of like you, you taking that, you know, really good stab at like, you know, what do you think about how do you have the conversation? I think you just have to do it. But before you do it, you have to come with that mindset of like, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to shape my children, right? Um, I'm going to shape their thoughts and their beliefs and I'm going to do my best to do so. You know, they turn 18, 19, they're out of the house. It's like, Hey, you know, we're we're still going to have this relationship, but now you're going to start shaping your own. Um, but I think, uh, we have to take that onus on ourselves, Georgia. Sorry. No, no problem. I, uh, I just, I don't think it's all that new. Uh, the idea that uh, media, movies, TV, there are some ulterior, maybe nefarious motives behind what is being put out that kids may not on the surface be able to detect, but it does ultimately end up influencing their thinking in the long term and the parents might be able to see it. I mean, Disney is famous for anti-Semitic references in some of their old old work. That shit is nefarious, right? The way it's positioned and what it is is, is different these days, but... I just think it's naive to think that this is only something that's happening now and wasn't the case in old media as well. I think, yeah, we, care, I don't think, I think it, we care about it now. We care about it a lot more now. Yeah, than, yeah than I, I would disagree. I'd say it's like 6,000% more in terms of exposure and the kind. Um, I, I agree with you that, you know, there was multiple different <laughs> propagandas, you know, to, to push a certain narrative. Uh, but if you, you can only go back, let's say, we'll make it easy and go back 50 years to our eloquent 1971 and the transformation of the entire uh, global economic system. Um, you know, think about media at that point in time. So how, how, on an absolute level, how easy was it to inject millions of minds with a specific kind of idea of making uh, gender, race, et cetera, talked about at a level that was like, you know, it's what you talk about amongst your friends. I would say that absolute level is 6,000% higher today on the base support of internet, social media, uh, technologies that, you know, we can get access. And to, to hit my point home, you don't have to go any further than looking at the usage or the viewing of porn at a young age. And I rest my case after that because that, 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 that is the most extreme concept of something that takes these concepts that seem very light and makes it extremely uncomfortable, but it's a very uncomfortable, unspoken, but highly, highly accessible and highly used thing uh, today. And it's just in, in for, for different sexes, it's in different ways, but sex and that at a very young age is proves my point that it's alarmingly higher 
in regards to adults placing these things out for accessibility and having, to your point, your language, motives as to what they want to have. And, you know, not to finish on that because it's unfair <laughs> to do it, but the it's be, it's because they need everyone on the platform. You've got to have your attention in the, in that area. And to my point, 50 years ago, there wasn't a lot of like, you know, I had to, I had to s steal uh, kids. I don't know if you remember that movie. Anyways, do your no. research. Did, uh, didn't we just, just talk about that? I feel like recently. Yeah, did we? we? Yeah, we talked about I that. I think it was on our trip. Oh, you, know you, mean? Weren't, like, you weren't there. I we, had to, like, we talked I had to about climb this. 17 mountains, okay, in order to get this film that I shouldn't have watched <laughs> at my age. Accessibility is different, <sighs> for sure. I get, I get like a, I, I remember, I, I, was prob I was way too young to watch that movie, but I remember watching that movie and just like the feeling I had. That was I just got that feeling again, and it's not a good feeling. That's not good, man. I was scared of a lot of things yeah. after watching that movie. I was scared of being yeah. in high school. But I, I, I was just, scared I of like back to like if disease. I kept getting that, like if I kept getting that, how that would dull me. That's what I'm scared about. Yeah. Yeah. And how I think that you get a lot of people at 18, 19, 20 years of age who are dulled by that, I think. And that just makes me sad. Yeah. Yeah, that makes me sad. Get to know our hosts and a sneak peek behind the scenes of the Live A Larger Life show when you follow us on Instagram at Live A Larger Life. We look forward to chatting with you there. All right, let's uh, shift gears a little bit. Um, gosh, we have some, some heavy, some heavy uh, radars today. Well, I think we can connect. I'm very grateful for the radars we today. Can, yeah, yeah, we can connect our main topic, though. To uh, to these radars from a transcendent standpoint, we right? still have because uh, gratitude is like going to be a great a great way for us to think about navigating. Yeah, absolutely. Are we going to make it to the main topic? <laughs> Depends how long Carl goes. Okay. Oh, you still have a radar. Yeah, I still have my radar. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, sh quiet, nice guys. Segue. It's, it's like we just we we plan this. Um, okay, so my topic is aerobic activity and metastatic cancer. Um, I swear we didn't plan all of these to connect. Jeez. Um, I know. Uh, so this is a this is a paper that that came out last week, actually. Yeah, paper came out last week, and then we'll link the article to the paper um, in the notes. So learnings from this paper, Tel Aviv University found that aerobic exercise may reduce the risk of metastatic cancer by 72%. So first, let's talk about what metastatic cancer is. So it's cancer that starts so... This is, these, these are individuals that already have cancer. So metastatic or metastasizing means that the cancer moves from one part of the body to another part of the body, which is a very, very, very big problem. That's top three fears with anyone with cancer is hopefully this doesn't spread. Um, so how does this occur? So going back to uh, reducing the risk by 72%. So it, this is going off of uh, previous studies as well that demonstrated exercise, just general exercise reduces the risk of some cancer up to 35%. Um, you dig into that, like you click that link and you go and it's like 0% and up to 35% and there's no like, there's, there's no actual, and it's, it's hundreds of studies that have different percentages. So they're, they're kind of bucketing that up to 35%. They're, they're reaching there. Um, what this study looked at specifically, so it monitored 3,000 individuals over 20 years. Um, uh, it related to the enhanced rate of glucose consumption induced by exercise. 
So when we look at, um, and then this is, this is actually why I wanted to have this conversation, James, with you and because you and I have had this like sugar, uh, sugar and cancer conversation in the past when I've asked you for, uh, for some advice on some things. Um, so when they look at the how it's like, okay, the, the idea is to rid the body or rid the organs of sugar. And if we do that, the cancer will less likely spread and get into other cells in the body because sugar acts as a fuel, let's call it for cancer and cancer cells. So the difference, the difference in the, the individuals that were doing aerobic training is, uh, it's, it's the differences made in the glucose receptors. So the idea is burning through glucose at an organ level reduces the risk of that cancer spreading. Um, the organs are competing with the muscles for glucose, right? So, you know, if we sit here, like Georgia ate some oatmeal this morning, um, put some, dump some glucose in the, in the body. I don't know. You probably did some jujitsu this morning. It's a Wednesday. Uh, so her muscles are like fighting for that sugar, that glucose, um, and her organs are as well. So the idea is that if you make your way through that, those glycogen stores, now the organs, now the organs are going to come in and utilize some of those sugars. Um, they looked at regular exercise leading to this process happening naturally at an organ level. So there's this idea of like, you know, you can, you can just stop eating sugar altogether. Right. And when we say sugar, we're just talking about carbohydrates. It's like, you could just stop eating carbohydrates altogether. So you don't, so you're not storing as much sugar in the system. Um, or, and, and, or on top of that, you can perform aerobic work. Right. So you could perform aerobic work two to three times per week. And as long as you're consistently doing that, this study showed in the subjects that their organs are are jumping over the muscles and the utilization of the glucose in the system. So they're just their organs are burning through that sugar. So there's not sugars in the bloodstream. If we have sugars in the bloodstream, it's going to reach reach it reach our cells in the body, of course. And then if that happens, uh, we have cancer, you know, in, in this organ. And if we have a bunch of sugar uh, stores in this other organ, it increases the likelihood of that cancer spreading. So this is what they're getting at there. So I'll wrap it up with the type of exercise that they that they proposed being intense aerobic exercise because that's the language that they use they they said intense aerobic exercise leads to not aerobic exercise leads to uh, by intense aerobic exercise they looked at uh, 75 to 85 percent of max heart rate um, we're all fairly knowledgeable on you know efforts and aerobic work in this room that's actually not intense exercise they compared it to what we would call like map 10 or zone one work. So walking versus just getting your heart rate up. So intense aerobic exercise relative to this study just meant getting your heart rate up 75 to 85% of that max heart rate. Um, so I wouldn't actually call that intense aerobic exercise. I would just say that's uh, that's intentional aerobic exercise. Um, I just want to get your guys' thoughts on that. James, yours specifically. Yeah, uh, age. Uh, these uh, varied, varied. It oh. was it was twenty to thirty nine. Yeah, because I try to think about training age and the uh, the adaptation, you know, of that. Um, Sorry, let I'm, me let me be more clear on that. It was twenty to thirty nine throughout the twenty years. Because remember, they looked at the three thousand subjects over twenty years. Oh, okay. So, but what they did was they chose the individuals that mm. got cancer, mm. right? 
Um, so out yeah. of the 3,000, there was a percentage. And all of kinds of cancer. All kinds of cancer, yeah. That yeah. confuses things too because mm-hmm. um, it doesn't indicate the differences in maybe in the status. We'd have the stats would have to look at gender differences as well, mm-hmm. right? And that needs to be extracted out. Um, the 75 to 85% of, of maximal heart rate for that age is quite high. So um, how did they determine that they, like longevity, like the timing amount of it or... Um, do you know what I mean? If I was, if I was at 80% when I was 25, I was at 80% of my max heart rate, you know, how much time, like how, what, and and is that intense? Damn. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, a lot of work. Yeah. I think for, I mean, I'm pushing, I'll be, you know, that means that I was at like 165 beats a minute for, I don't know how long I'm working. Yeah. Right. I, I, I don't know. I I wouldn't. Yeah. I know. I know you're you're kind of off here because your heart rate is a little bit different than the normal humans. No, 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 no. Think about that. <laughs> think about that. Maximum heart rate, like mm-hmm. how, how it's calculated, right? Even if you use the logarithm, um, two twenties minus your age or actually a field test or et cetera. Um, you know, and you guys could have probably indicated where you are sitting up paced upon that. Just take the middle zone of it, 80% of that. And then tell me that that's, you know, not, like walking it's it's not like or tell me that it's not like walking <laughs> do you know what i'm saying yeah. so uh, i'm operating when i hike for example at i don't know 55 percent of my maximal heart rate so i don't know if say maybe 75 to 85 percent of their of a i don't know a heart rate reserve or like a heart rate deficit yeah yeah i don't know yeah i i don't I know i just don't there. feel like 75 percent is that high of a percentage for for your typical person 80%? of maximum heart rate. I don't... 25 years of age. Yep. Okay. Yep. 25 years of age. Let's just use the 220 minus age, Mm -hmm. right? So that means their indirect score for max heart is 195, right? You with me? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. 80% of that. 75. 75 to 85. Oh, you're just going in the zone. You're going in the middle. Okay. (laughs) That's fucking tough, dude. Are Uh, we we, we not seeing that? Or like, have you guys tried to hold 165 beats a minute for... Yeah. A period of time. It's working. Yeah. No. Yeah. You're yeah. working. Yeah. I mean, gosh, it depends. I don't, I don't see, there's no perception in, of intense, yeah, right? That's yeah, why I don't, don't want to get into know like who we're talking anecdotes, about. but like, you know, holding 75% max heart rate, like I can do that for a long period of time. Yeah. But right? that, is that why you don't have cancer? No, no, no. I'm just saying, I, I, I'm just saying, I don't think that that is like, that's not like rolling on the floor intense. Yeah. I guess we're, you know, when we're trying to decide upon what is intense yeah. and I'm not just picking on that point as a, you know, but I think for twenty, through the average twenty to thirty-nine year old, you know, with no indication what we're talking about here for exercise experience, eighty percent of maximum heart rate at twenty-five years of age, you're working. Mm-hmm. I can tell you that 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 twenty-five year old who's had like the odd exercise experience, they're fucking working. Yeah. Let me tell you. So yeah. in their mind, it's extremely intense. Yeah. Now we could hold arguments of like relative intensity and et cetera. Um, and it's unfair to use someone as fit as myself because I was, you know, one time the fittest <laughs> man on the earth. It's very tough, you know. Uh, but it, it, it's uh, very difficult for me to derive anything from it. I was hoping you were going to say that they put, were put in two different camps and it ended up showing like it did a long time ago in terms of this because this this was this was done. Maud Pasquale jumped on this back in the 90s and then started like to really push, oh, well, sugar's like this, and et cetera, on, you know, and then Lauren Cordain. And they all kind of culminated going, yeah, like my shirt shows today. 
it's a real big problem, right? Mm -hmm. Now, they shouldn't unfortunately looked at that research and said, oh, you need to be on ketosis if you get cancer. Um, but they did see some actual positive events of the lower case of metastasis when people went on a, uh, a fairly high fat, low protein, almost zero sugar diet. And that was very effective at holding off what they considered diagnostics and measurements of increase in proliferation around. So of course us in fitness, we were like, yeah, you know, <laughs> you take, take it all to the extremes. Um, which of course ruined my digestive system when I was, uh, 25 years of age. That's a whole other side of it. But, uh, I thought you were going to go there because what came from that was that weight training is actually the most effective way of, uh, creating sustainability of people to be able to follow a very, very low sugar diet and create a strengthened immune system. Because what we noticed is that if you go the aerobic route, not only, but mainly the aerobic work, there's an end game to adaptation. So you have to go longer and you have to go harder to raise your heart rate to a point that's considered intense, if I'm making sense, right? With regards to resistance, they saw through a different transport mechanism that the muscle cell, basically, I'll put in layman's terms, would would scoop up all the available glucose and it made the muscle cell really sensitive, which is great. You want to have the muscle being super sensitive, which is why I'm always a personal you know, advocate of individuals who are on their pathway out, outside of insulin resistance to just fall in love with weights, like fall in love with weights. And whenever someone tells you, oh, you need to sweat and do cardio and et cetera, I'm like, no bueno to that because it always ends up causing more harm down the road with adaptation. I'll stop there. But anything on the no i just it, i wanted back to, to the intensity point no i wanted to hit that one no no not at all well okay. i am in my brain but i won't okay. say anything about it um <laughs> i'm just i'm thinking of us going out there after and and no, uh, see, actually playing us. playing around with getting to 75 yeah, we can't use us yeah, that's true okay um the idea of the absence of sugar is kind of why mm. i wanted to talk about this yeah. um i just wanted to get your opinion on um this research and how this goes against with uh, or, you know, no, no impact on your, your beliefs on, cause I know we've yeah, had deeper change. conversations on, on this concept before. Yeah. It doesn't change the concept in a vitality model. Yeah. Whatsoever. Um, and I'm always hesitant to like, look at, you know, what I call the medical paradigm concept of fixing things and being like, Ooh, you know, no sugar led to less growth of cancer. It's like, yeah, no, let's just say okay. what, what, I, I didn't say you say that, yeah, but that's yeah. what people extract from it, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you, what, what, what would you extract from just this idea? Let's put this aside, right? Like this was like a, a leveraging point to have the conversation. Mm. Boom, we put it out there. There's like some agreements, some disagreements. But what would you extract from the idea of less sugar being present? Is it good, bad thing, or are you indifferent? For well, that your particular, shirt, your shirt for that it, particular person, uh, that would validate my current beliefs, you know, so for that particular person, i.e. someone has just been stricken down, uh, personal story of this, uh, Jason Fine was a client of mine. He passed away because of metastasis. He owned a CrossFit gym just locally here. Um, he passed away uh, 2014, I think. Uh, rest in peace, Jason. Um, and he and I had this particular discussion. And I was like, you know, well, listen, dude, this is what I know. And I can tell you that sugar is the devil. 
for, for this particular situation that you're in. And I, I held no qualms of saying that to an individual that I had no business besides just being his health advocate or coach to say, this is the way you're going to basically figure things out. Uh, in the end, it, I don't know if it prolonged or whatever, but he followed that and he also got other people's recommendations said the same thing. So that's the only thing I would extract from that. It validated my own beliefs for someone who has cancer to, yes, see sugar as something that's uh, um, really bad. Now, in vitality, oh gosh, it doesn't doesn't really give me anything. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I want people to have a variety of plants, and uh, sugars are going to be derived from that in their natural source. So I'm okay. But when sugar comes with fiber and it comes from sourced from the planet, you know, I'm always going to back that. Yeah. Yeah. Broccoli, baby. <laughs> Strawberries. Good luck getting a bunch you know? of sugar from broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> you can. Mango. Uh, yeah. Mm. All right. Let's uh anyone else let's send that one there unless you guys have on the anything. sugar one? Yeah, no? what do you guys think? No sugar. Do you guys like sugar? Do you guys not like sugar? What are, what are your thoughts on sugar? Look, I I like sugar. <laughs> uh, I think everyone like enjoys the taste of sugar. Do I eat uh foods that are high in refined sugars every day? I choose not to. Yeah. Yeah, just uh sorry to I I am extending this. Um How oh, can we take uh, Yeah, how can we take this idea and, you know, I I know you just said it, you know, slightly like you know how does this affect my thoughts in the vitality model not really but it yeah but i mean the idea it sits still inside of it right where it's like should you be overloading the system with fiberless sugar on a daily basis yeah no for sure you should not be yeah okay yeah then i'll get it in my i get, get to it in my monologue share our favorite form of sugar um sure yeah mine's easy yeah blueberries yours yours but no, mine's actually real sugar. God. Gummy bears, chocolate yeah. cup gummy bears. No, yeah, I was gonna not, say. Not, I was gonna. We're oh, talking we about. Oh, we do both. Let's do. Oh, I was gonna say sweet potato. It. Like, uh, oh, so good. Uh, I, when I was in, oh, James, you got me addicted to this. When I was in Coeur Lane over the summer, uh, James and Leanne threw some sweet potato waffle fries in the air fryer, and I was like, yeah, well, like, what am I ten? And then I ate one, and I was like, oh my gosh, I am ten. <laughs> <laughs> so now sweet potato waffle fries in the air fryer like that's my jam yeah, so that's my favorite sugar and i wouldn't like it's it's not i would actually put that in both camps it's a sweet potato but it's still a waffle fry so it's not like it's not like if we're taking like a fresh sweet potato cutting it open and eating it so yeah that would be my that'd be my favorite sugar right now it's my drug yeah i i uh i like reminiscing on what i used to eat when i was a kid as a teen um Man, that uh, the milk, the sugary milk that was left over at the end of cereal, I thought that was like. What was your favorite uh, that was cereal? That le- not your favorite cereal, but what was your favorite leftover milk cereal? Honeycombs. Honeycombs. Yeah, like end of the day, that taste that's left after just niceness. Mine was like wonderful. Cocoa Crisp. More recently, it was, like it was probably Choco Love. I'd say mm. there was like, oh gosh, this is the, this is the ultimate. But uh, now I think uh, it's something along the lines. I'm kind of proud, actually. I got to that point where it's like I really enjoy natural sugars. Um, and I really mean that when I say it, like through vegetables that may have that, um, to your points on sweet potatoes or bananas. I love I love that, you know. Um, so, yeah, not that exciting for the sugars. Uh, true fruit. Have you guys ever tried this? Chocolate-covered berries. Oh, yes, I've seen that. Yeah. Frozen berries, they're delicious. I have seen those. Like, they have pomegranates as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or, sorry, pomegranates. 
pomegranate seeds. Seeds, yeah. yeah. Whoa, that's that'd be tough to. Cu- those are really, really small. Yeah, they them. are tiny. Blueberries, really? strawberries, raspberries, and then the bananas. They do dipped in peanut butter and in chocolate. Mm. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna be the fun one, and I'm gonna say that my favorite sweet is uh, chocolate mousse cake from La Grande Orange with pistachio gelato. Mm. If I'm going really crazy, La Grande Orange is a it's a bakery, Local. bakery oh. pizza place uh, in Phoenix. Nice. Very good, very good. Okay. They do a gluten-free chocolate cake. I went there this well, weekend. Yeah, I got a sandwich from there. Product placement. Is our did sponsor you get chocolate cake show. and pistachio gelato? I did not. Uh, but Carson got a slice of their pizza. Or sorry, you can't buy a slice. So we had to get a whole thing. Um, and I tried like a, a piece of that and that was nice. Very, very good pizza. Do you have yeah. the ice cream on the top? On the side. Okay. On the side. So it's not on top, like heated, melts down. No, it's, it's co- the, the cake is room temperature because it's mousse. Okay. It's uh, got a salted caramel layer, chocolate mousse, okay. chocolate cake. Got it. It's really good. Cool. Key lime pie is good. All right, let's end this part there. Yeah, I had my first, tr- I had real key lime pie. <laughs> in the, in James the is like, nope, we're not in well, this part. Well, you said it. Okay, okay, let's that. go. Let's go, let's go. Florida Keys, uh, when we oh, went there, dude, gosh. Dude. Two years ago, last year, right? Yeah, right, yeah. yeah. Man, um. We could have an whole episode on that. That was a great key experience. Key lime pie is like... Clearly, we need to do a food episode. Key yeah. lime pie is obscene. It's very, very good. Yeah. It's like perfect. It, everything about it is perfect. Well, I find the history fascinating for that particular area um, of the importing mm. and the history and tradition around making it. And there's some real good... You know, when you have it, you're like, oof, it means something because it's very cultural yeah, yeah. and like local and something more to it. It's an interesting fruit too. Key it is. lime. Key yeah. lime. Uh huh. Yeah, it's it's so different it's specific, than yeah. uh, a regular lime. Yeah. I'm yeah. gonna drag the dessert talk on one more moment. It's another okay. reason why I had a good week. Because on Sunday night I baked a cheesecake with a apple crumble top. So it was pecan cookies, cheesecake, like stewed apples, and then crumble on top. Mm. And that thing was bomb. How big are your apples in that? Uh, I slice them up and you cook them on the stove. Uh, so like just kind of one centimeter cubes or so oh, nice. small okay. pieces very soft i don't soft. like it when they're big pieces of mm. apples in those no. yeah. not to take you away you know what people are going to extract from your conversation what? though it was that that you had on sunday night that got you the purple belt that might be that's it. what people will yeah. connect here yeah i need i needed all that sugar to uh uh-huh. feel my so what you're telling me is <laughs> we got a carve load up on <laughs> sunday night plenty of to fats gain in belts. There too. <laughs> all right let's wrap it up there Thanks for joining us on this episode. If you're on YouTube, please like, subscribe, and join us in the comments below.